Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Church. My name is Jake Seaton, a worship pastor out of the Stevensville campus. If it's your first time with us this morning, we are so happy that you decided to worship with us. In a few minutes, we're going to sing some songs, and we'll hear an awesome message from one of our campus pastors. If you have children with you this morning, Kids Zone is about to start. Now, in Kids Zone, your children will have a blast learning about Jesus while you're in here worshiping with us. So go out to the lobby, and a volunteer is willing to help get you checked in. You're in you and your kids checked in for, for Kids Zone. Now, at First Church, we want you to live in community with one another. So we've developed these things called sections and section leaders. Your section is the area you're sitting in at whichever campus you attend, and you have a section leader. Your section leader is wearing a lanyard and will be standing at the back of the room at the end of the service. If you're new, they've got a card for you to fill out and a gift to give you. Now, one last thing to tell you about, baptisms. Next weekend, you have the opportunity to be baptized at whichever campus you attend. The past year has been incredible for baptisms. So with more than 100 people at First Church getting baptized, one of them was my daughter. I'll never forget that day. It was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. If you want to declare that you're a follower of Jesus and you want to be baptized, sign up at the Info Hub or visit myfirstchurch.com backslash baptism. Thanks for joining us on the 10 Before this weekend. We'll see you next time. Good morning. How are we doing? Hey, we're going to start our morning off by singing a song together. Uh, that just focuses our minds and hearts on God. I want to invite you to stand as you're able. And uh, let's uh, kind of shake off the rest. Let's get our hands together. Wake up this morning. Let's worship God together. Turn your ear to heaven and hear the noise inside the sound of angels all the sound of angels songs and all this for a king he could join and sing all to Christ our King how constant how divine this song of ours will rise oh how constant how divine this love of ours will rise will rise oh praise him oh praise him he is holy he is holy Turn your gaze, turn your gaze to heaven and raise a joyous noise. The sound of salvation come, the sound of rescued ones and all this for a king. Angels join and sing. All to Christ our King. Oh, praise. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. He is holy. 
sweet this love so rescuing oh how infinitely sweet this great love that has redeemed as one we sing hallelujah pray together this morning. God, we praise you and we love you. And we pause right now and just ask that you would help us to, to be here, to push aside the distractions from the week and the stress and all that we've going on and help us to focus on you. God, help us to draw closer to you, learn about you, Help us to experience your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Together we say, amen. Well, hey, you can have a seat. And as you're doing that, our ushers are going to come forward to take up our tithes and offerings. Uh, so you can get ready for that as well. Thank you so much to those of you who give so faithfully over the months and years. Um, it's because of your giving that we're able to do what we do. Uh, we're able to keep the lights on and pay staff and uh, have programs, uh, but we're also able to do some incredible things with our missions partners around the world. So thank you so much. If you've never uh, tried tithing, tithing is what we call giving 10% of your income. I'd encourage you to maybe talk to a pastor and we'll explain it a little more, uh, but just maybe pray about it and, and consider it. If you uh, believe in the mission and vision of this church, which is to restore God's ideal, to fix the broken things in our homes and in our communities and around the world, then uh, maybe you should consider uh, being a part of that with your finances as well. It's a big step. It's not to be taken lightly, but uh, we believe it's an important part about being a part of this community. Uh, let's pray again. God, we again just pause and think about uh, all the blessings in our lives. God, we've got this place we can gather and worship you and praise you and learn about you. And we know that our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, some of them don't have it as well. So we thank you for our blessings and we pray for our brothers and sisters uh, who may be experiencing real persecution, who have to worship in hiding. And God, we, uh, we pray that you would protect them and give them strength. 
And God, we ask that all we do this morning would help each of us draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome, uh, welcome all of you and, and uh, thankful for those who are joining us uh, in our, by way of our internet campus. We're delighted to have uh, uh, you with us and we're excited about what God's doing. We hear some cool stories from folks that have been engaging in our internet campus that for different reasons might not be able to come and be with us uh, here uh, in a service. And so it's another, I just want to throw out again, a great way to, for you to invite someone that might not have a church home to have them check out uh, first uh, the internet campus. And then uh, hopefully we just uh, love to have them come eventually uh, here to First Church. So uh, again, God's done some, some cool stuff. Well, we're in a series called Downpour. Uh, and we've been talking about revival and renewal and what does it look like for us to really seek after a, a fresh downpour of, God's, uh, of God uh, being just poured out in our lives. And so we've been uh, seeking after, after that and just want to uh, just remind you again, I mentioned it last week, but uh, this next, uh, or this, this coming Wednesday, uh, we've got a, uh, something we're calling downpour on Wednesday night in the other end of the building at the St. Joe campus here uh, at 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have some worship and just a focused time of prayer, kind of a uh, kind of real focused time uh, right before there's different classes and stuff that goes on. Uh, but right before that, and we'll give you, get you out in time so you can get to any of your classes that you're going to. We just want to have an extended time of just seeking after the Lord and, and just uh, inviting him into our lives and into the life of our church. So I just want to invite you that, to that at 6 o'clock starting this Wednesday and uh, subsequent Wednesdays uh, at the, uh, on the other end of the building. Uh, so let's jump in here. And here's a definition we've been uh, using over the last uh, few weeks that revival is the supernatural intensification. And I know a lot of you could even like say this because we've uh, kind of used it each week. But the supernatural intensification of the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. And we, I kind of put in that uh, definition some of that ordinary work that we've been talking about. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The compelling, the sanctifying, and the assuring work of the Holy Spirit. And so we've just been seeking after God to do something fresh uh, in us. And as we were talking about extending this series that we're calling Downpour, one of the things we recognized that we wanted to talk about was prayer. And when you look at the way that God chooses to pour himself out in lives, uh, and you see him uh, in, in different times in the past when he's, uh, there's been some great move of God, every great move of God has been preceded by a great move of God's people in prayer. I love what Jim Cimbala wrote in his wonderful book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. If you've not read that, it's a classic, wonderful book. He said this, No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon our times of prayer. The future will depend. And so the future of this church will depend upon our times of prayer. And there's a powerful story in Scripture uh, of uh, prayer where a guy gets it in his head to just pray these audacious big prayers and God uses him to do some awesome stuff. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Nehemiah, the first chapter. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to actually look at the in, entire chapter. So let me just kind of start out and we're going to look at, we're going to look at this, uh, this story and at the end I'm going to make some quick application of how we can learn some things from Nehemiah as we think about the elements of revival kind of prayer. And so here's the word of the Lord starting in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. 
Let me just give you some important background to this story. It takes place during uh, kind of following the, uh, the division of, the, of, of, of God's people, the Jewish people, in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Their nation was divided. And both the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah decided that they're going to do their own thing, that they're going to, uh, God had warned them, hey, you need to follow me, you need to, to serve me, but they decided they're going to do their own thing, and so they, uh, they got, uh, decided they wanted to serve some other gods and, and whatever, and so God kept warning them, you need to turn back to me, you need to, you need to follow me, and they didn't, and they didn't, and they didn't, and so finally the judgment of, that God had warned them about finally came, and God used a series of invasions and then deportations of his people, and he used the. And if you get if you're world history buffs, you can study the uh, the nations of Assyria and, ba- and the Babylonians. And God used them to uh, to bring judgment on uh, his people. And so again, through a series of of invasions and deportations, it's now where we find is following that time that we find ourselves. We find Nehemiah. There's a new. Uh, there's a new sheriff in town, however. The Assyrians and the Babylonians have now uh, been conquered by now the Persians. And the Persians are the new sheriff in town. And uh, even though the Jewish cities and, and the people were, were still, the, the cities were decimated, the people were living in exile. And it was kind of in that time, uh, this new government that was in charge, basically had conquered the known world, the Persians, they kind of had a different view on international relationships. And so they kind of eased up on the ravage, pillage, plunder, maim kind of vibe that the Babylonians had going. And they said, well, what? We're going to let some of you go back to your homelands. And so they allowed some of the people that had been deported to go back. And so it was into, the, again, that era that Nehemiah finds himself, and he's got a job working for the Persian king Artaxerxes. And there happened to be in Susa, which was a kind of a fortress stronghold, kind of outside of the, uh, the capital of Babylon, and in verse 2, we see that one of his brothers comes back who had had the opportunity to travel back to Jerusalem to kind of check out, you know, he's allowed to go back. And now he's returned to Persia, to Susa, where he sees his brother Nehemiah. And so in verse 2, it says this, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So again, when you get the context, here is Nehemiah. He's living in exile, far, far, far away from his home. And he's living uh, uh, with the king, and he has power through proximity. In other words, he's, uh, he doesn't really necessarily have an uh, especially glamorous job. He's the cupbearer, which means that he was kind of the taste tester for the king. And so if somebody was trying to poison the king, he would taste things first. And so, you know, the job security... Uh, wow, I mean, that's not really a job that you necessarily want, but, but because he had proximity to the king, there's some power with that. So, so he interacted with the king, and he knew the king, and he got to talk to the king, and so he, he had the ear of the king, so to speak. And so it was uh, you know, somewhat of an important job that he had, and so his brothers were allowed to go back to their homeland. And when they return, here's Nehemiah, and I mean, imagine Nehemiah. I mean, think about if it were you. Here's Nehemiah. He's got this job. It's not the best job in the world. I mean, uh, not necessarily something you might apply for, not the best job. Uh, but, but things are going, you know, relatively well. I mean, he's living in exile. But when he thinks about, about his home, I mean, I mean they, they weren't exiled. These people that, I mean, his family and his people that he loved back home, they, they weren't 
like him. They weren't in, living in exile in this foreign land. And so he's probably thinking, you know, if I was back in Jerusalem, you know, things would be great. If I was back in my homeland, things would be great. And he's probably thinking that things are great back home. And so with that, he kind of asked his brother, so tell me about how things are going back home. He wasn't ready for the reply that he gets. The shocking reply that he gets in verse 3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And so here's this first-hand account of some guys that have actually been there. And even though he had kind of probably assumed that things were okay, he gets the message that things are not okay. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of detail. I mean, this is kind of the, the, the Cliff Notes kind of a the version of the story. There's probably a lot of follow-up questions that Nehemiah would have asked. Well, well tell me about, well, what about cousin whatever? And what about, about the old um, the, the neighborhood where, where family grew up? And what about? this and what about that and he related more of the story I'm sure but notice how he describes what's wrong it was bad it was really bad he says our people are in great trouble and shame the gates the gates of Jerusalem, he's talking about the wall. And in that day, if you had a, a major city, the wall around that city was so vitally important. Any nation that wanted to come in, any group, any group of bandits or whatever, they wanted to come in and do something. If you didn't have a wall, you had no way to protect yourself. And so he says the wall around the city has been destroyed. The gates are destroyed by fire. It was bad, really bad. And he wasn't prepared for what he heard and look at his reaction in verse 4. And as soon as I heard these words, have you ever heard some words that so took your breath away when you heard what happened that you had to sit down? Maybe it was the phone call of a loss of a loved one. Maybe it was the news when you were there in the doctor's office. Or maybe it was... You know, whatever that news was, we've, we've had those times when, when we're so caught up in what we just heard that you just have to sit down because it's so heavy. And Nehemiah sits down, it says, and it says that he weeps. He didn't cry, but he wept. He wailed and he wept and he mourned for days. And you see the emotion that just comes out of him as he weeps and wails and mourns for days and it says, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This news breaks his heart. His guard was down. He wasn't at all anticipating this news that he got. He thought probably things were okay, but things weren't okay. As we think about our own lives, we kind of live in this, if it feels good, kind of do it kind of attitude in our world. And, and our world tells us, you know, whatever, kind of do whatever makes you happy. And so, so our world really kind of encourages us to live kind of a selfish, kind of a self-absorbed kind of life. Do you ever allow yourself to look around at the rest of the world and, and to be broken with them? To enter in like we see Nehemiah enters into their pain and their grief. When we think about praying for renewal and praying for revival and seeking after God pouring himself down on us. That's not the kind of the end goal. But okay we just want to have some, some souped up special 
spiritual experience so that we can go and we can continue to live our lives kind of the, the way uh, we were before. So we can continue to live self-absorbed. So, so our prayer is, God, do something in me because I want more of you for me. And that's kind of the end of it. And that's not really what we're talking about. It's not the end to experience revival. We pray for and we seek after revival and renewal so that our heart can be changed, our heart can be broken, and so that we can see this world like God sees this world. And we can have, a, have an eye to, God, how can you use me to bring some help, some change, some restoration of your ideal into this world? And so Nehemiah is broken and he starts to pray. And as he begins to pray, we can just kind of get a sense that his heart is broken. His eyes are now open to the real condition of what's going on in his world with his, these people that he loves and cares about. His ears are open to the cries of, of his people as they're back in Jerusalem and they're living in great shame and living in, in great trouble. And I want you to notice the first thing as he, his heart is broken and, he, and, and we see that emotion. What's the first thing that he does? He starts to pray. And I would submit to you that he begins to pray passionately for what's happening. And listen to what he says to God in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive. And your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. He's talking about himself. That I now pray before you day and night. And so we talked about he's praying passionately. And we see that. He's, he's, and we see his heart broken. But we also say, see that he's praying persistently. It says that he's praying. I pray before you day and night this prayer. And, he was, and then he describes the prayer. I'm praying for the people of Israel, your servants. He's not just praying for himself. He's not just praying God do something just for me, he's, he's praying for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And as we look at what he's praying, I want you to notice that this solid theology of God as he prays. Here he is, he's living in exile, things are not going his way, he's got a lot of trouble, the people that he loves are in trouble, the city that he, that he loves, that, that his people is, is destroyed, the gates are, are in ruins, there's no way that they can protect themselves, and in the midst of all that's going on, and, and his job, is, I mean, he is one bad cup of whatever the king's drinking away from leaving this world, you understand? And yet, how does he pray? He begins his prayer like, God, you're awesome. And what can we learn as we think about the theology that we need in prayer? Then in the midst of some of the junk that was going on in his own life, that he begins his prayer on solid theological grounds. God, you are God. God, you are still on the throne. And if we want revival, if we want renewal, then we need a renewal and a revival of our theology of God, of our understanding that God is God and we're not, and, and God is awesome and we're not that great most of the time. And, and God, you are the God, and he says this, you're the God that keeps your covenant. You're the God that, 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 that shows love to your children. And notice what he says then, he, he acknowledges their sin. 
And as we've been talking about, one of the intensifying works of the Holy Spirit that we need as we experience revival is we need to get real with who we are and how we're living before God. And there are times that if we're open to it, that there's going to be an intensification of the conviction of God in our lives and the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's what we see. The first thing, some of the first things he begins to pray, he begins to confess the sins of his people, of his family, and even himself. He has a realistic view of sin and the need of confession. Notice as he prays and as he confesses, he doesn't do it with a bunch of excuses. He says, we didn't keep your commandments. He didn't say, here's why. He said, we didn't, he said, you know, we didn't act like we should. We knew better, but we didn't, and we ignored you. And is that not what we need in our world? Is that what no, we not, we not, isn't that what we need in our own lives? That I need to be a person that just acknowledges my failures and my hang-ups. And God, God, I'm not giving you a bunch of excuses. I don't pray with a comma at the end of my confessions. God, I, you know, I, I'm sorry for this, but here's the why. And if you did this or you did that or she did this, whatever. There's no excuses in what Nehemiah says. He just confesses. There were no theological yeah buts. There was a simple acknowledgement that God, this is your world, you're in charge, you're big, you're great, you're awesome. We not so much, we're sorry where we've blown it. I'm going to choose to defer to you. It's beyond my pay grade, so I'm going to defer to you on things in this world. And I love what he says next. He begins to claim the promises of what he knew about God as he prays. And look at verse 8. He says this. Remember, he's talking to God. Remember, God, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. And that's exactly what had happened to them. And so that part, he's like, yeah, we did that. And so now we've been scattered. And we're living in exile here. And we got people living back home there. And we're all over the place. And, but God, remember what else you said. But if you return to me, and if you keep my commandments, and you do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them in and bring them to the place where I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And he acknowledges that we're where we are. We're in exile. We're in captivity. We deserve that. But God, you also promised that if we would return to you and we would keep your commandments and if we loved you, if we would just turn back, that you would gather us back. And God, I just want to agree. I want to pray an audacious prayer that you would do what you said you would do. God, bring us back home. And that's the kind of revival prayers that we need. That we are audacious enough to pray God's promises. And there's a lot of them. There's, you can go actually go to the bookstore and you can find just Bible promise books. And what an awesome thing to just pray over those promises and just remind yourself that this awesome God that you serve loves you and cares about you and sent Christ to, to, to die for you. All those promises and, that we find in God's word. Now look at what he says in verse 11, the, the conclusion of the last verse. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants to delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So he concludes his prayer and he just, God, would you just please hear me? Would you please hear my prayer and act on behalf of my prayer? And notice what he says. He says, would you grant me mercy as I 
in the sight of this man. Who, who do you think he's talking about? Who's this man? Grant mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking about the king. Go do a little, little history lesson on uh, the Persians or the Babylonians or the Assyrians. And, you know, they, they didn't play around back then. Okay? And he's going to go and he's going to go. And what he's talking about is he's going to be going in to talk to the king. And he's, gonna, he's been praying, and he's been praying for months about, about this, about what's happened and the condition of his people back home. And now he's about, in chapter 2, if you read it, if you read the rest of the story, you see that he goes in and he asks the king, basically, in this conversation, hey, will you let me out of my job as cupbearer, and will you let me go back home to my homeland to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And so he asks God, give me favor as I go now to put some feet to my prayers. And it's it's just kind of a cool little side note. But how does he refer to the man, or to the king? He refers to the king as the man. And I just think that's so cool. Because he's he's talking to the king. And he says to the king, the king of kings. Now when I go talk to the man, who really is only a man, the man that has power over life and death over me, but as I go into him, will you help me as I go talk to him, the man? There's some elements that I think that if we just real quick as we kind of wrap up with a few minutes that we have left. We don't want to just know a great story and hear this great story of this guy, Nehemiah, that praises these great prayers. And, and God uses in significant ways because he does go back. The end of the story is he goes back and he helps rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's really a cool story. You should read it later. We just don't want to stop there, but what, what do we see in, in Nehemiah that we need? What are the elements? If we're going to experience revival and renewal, what do we need in our own lives that we can see in his. And the first thing that I would say is that we need, like Nehemiah, to cultivate a heart that breaks with God's. We need to cultivate a heart that breaks with God's. Our problem is that we live in this culture that so wants to insulate us from letting anything inside that would break potentially our heart. Nancy DeMoss said this, we will never meet God in revival until we have first met him in brokenness. And we see that Nehemiah, he was broken over the condition of what was going on in his world. And, and when he hears the, the news about what was going on in his homeland, he is broken. He can't even stand up. It says that he weeps and he mourns for days and days and days. He is broken over the condition of what's going on. He's broken over his own sin. As he confesses his sin before God. And if we're going to experience revival, we need to first be broken. And we need our hearts to be broken like God's heart is broken. And do we do that? When we hear the news, when we watch things going on, when we read the newspapers, do we allow what's going on and the condition of things in our world, in our community, uh, across the world, do we allow it to, 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 to break us? Or are we so insulated because life is all about how I can, I can be better and be self-actualized and, and be happy and be fulfilled and, and this and that for me. And even church can be all about me and I'm going to go, I'm going to find a place where my needs can be met and my family and my, it's my, me and me. And, and if the preacher doesn't move me, if the, the worship doesn't move me, then I'm going to go, what, it's It's that me, me, me consumer mentality and our heart needs to be broken in front of God and allow our hearts to be broken for what breaks his. I read some statistics this week. 
What does it do your, to your heart to know that 25% of the children that live in Benton Harbor live under the poverty rate in homes that, in homes that are in poverty? What does that do to your heart? What's it do to your heart when you recognize, when you see the statistics that 30% of the people that live in Benton Harbor have no access to a car? So it's real easy for us to to just kind of think, well, you know what, people, the problem is people just need to get a job and people need to do this. And we're real quick to be kind of judgmental about other people when we don't understand their situation. Think about your own life. How easy would it be for you to have a job and to keep a job and to thrive at a job if you had no transportation? And so God, break our heart. Break your heart for things that maybe just maybe there's someone in this room that can do something about those things. Break your heart over the statistic that one in, teen, one in ten births in Berrien County are to teenage mothers. God, break our heart for the realization that there are 575 at last count homeless people living around our community. God, break our heart. I, I didn't, when we partnered with Malawi, the nation of Malawi, I didn't even know where Malawi was. I had to literally go, and I've told you this before, go and look it up on a map. I didn't know where it was. I never heard about, really, anything about Malawi. I think I knew maybe it was a country. I don't know for sure. Malawi doesn't have any oil. It doesn't have any gold. It doesn't have any precious metals, doesn't have any diamonds, no one cares about Malawi, it's, the UN tells us year after year after year, it's one of the poorest nations on the face of the earth. More than half, more than 50% of the people in Malawi live on less than a dollar and 25 cents a day. They are sustenance farmers, which means that that the, the crops that they have in the field, that, those crops are all that they have to live on. And if something happens to those crops, so if there's a drought, or if there's a flood, or if something happens, or the price goes down, or whatever happens to them, then they go without food, and people in their family have the, run the risk of actually dying. And so I'm excited that we're a church with a big heart. And when Dan earlier talked about giving and talked about uh, inviting you into that space. When we heard about a flood that came to Malawi and there were these torrential rains that were destroying the crops of our people. These are our people. We have partnered with these people. I've sat with these pastors. They're our people. And they told us that the rains have come and the, the floods have come and there are, are these villages, these pastors in these villages out in the middle of nowhere that their crops have been washed away and it was life and death and because of your generosity we were able to, uh, our faith promise we had some extra dollars there and so we were able to, to immediately release dollars to send money to sustain 
people so that families and children did not die. And I don't want to, I don't want to do a whole lot. I don't want to pull on your heartstrings too much except for us today to ask God, would you please break my heart and help me not to continue to live my life? And not that you are. I don't know where you are. Only you and God know where you are. But we need to live our lives in such a way that we have some blinders off and our heart beats over the things that beats uh, God's heart beats for. And when his heart breaks, our heart breaks. And when people cry out in our community, we hear their cry. We see their cry. We're not just motivated by what our lives are about and what we see that we need in Nehemiah. We need to cultivate a heart like Nehemiah, a heart that breaks after God's heart. And it's not some of the just the social kind of stuff. Does our heart break for the fact that there are lost people all around us? We hear these statistics about how more and more people are walking away from faith in God. And does that break our heart? Those that have been called out, we are the church, we've been called. Does it break our heart to hear those statistics, to see what's going on? I'll give you one statistic. Seven out of ten people that are unchurched, have never gone to church, seven out of ten have, in their entire life have never been invited to church by a friend, by anybody. Seven out of ten people that are unchurched have never for the first time ever been invited to come into this space. And and we're not perfect. Absolutely we're not perfect. And we have stuff we should do better and need to do better. But we're a place that every week we we sing songs that help people to connect with God and to praise God. And and we open up this wonderful life-giving book and we talk about real life kind of stuff. And we talk about Jesus, this one who saved us, that changed us, that helped us, that, that pulled us up out of that deep miry clay that we have been set right and we have an eternity with God the Father because of Jesus and every week we talk about him. And what a wonderful space to invite people in. Does our heart break for what breaks the heart of God? He did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. John three seventeen. Secondly, we see the element of revival prayer is that he prayed passionately and he prayed pers- persistently. It says that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. He prayed day and night, it says. I want to invite you into that kind of prayer, to pray and to pray that your heart be broken. Pray, God, what's going on in the world? Pray, God, revive me so that I can make a difference in my world. Not just so it's an end to itself, but pray, me, pray and change me. Founder of Life Action Ministries, he posed this question. He's gone to be with the Lord, but listen to what this question that I want to challenge us with. If revival in this land depended on your prayers, your faith, your obedience, would we ever experience revival? And friends, I want to call you to revival. And I want to call you to revival prayer. To enter into that daily prayer, seeking after the Lord. I've got an app, Echo app on my phone that it beeps at me. It reminds me there's all kinds of help in the day and age that we live in. Go look up the word revive in scripture. Revival is not in scripture, but the word revives in scripture. And so if you think, what do I pray? Well, just look up those scriptures and every day just pray over one of those scriptures. God, do this thing, this word revive, do that. What you've just said in your word, do that thing in my life and in my church and in my, in my community. And I want to invite you to come on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. And it's going to be simple. It's not some big flashy thing. We're just going to pray a little bit and we're going to, we're going to worship a little bit. And we're going to seek after revival. 
Another element of revival prayer that we see in Nehemiah was he developed a holistic view of God. Here he is again. He's living in captivity. He's, his homeland's been decimated. His people are in great trouble and shame. And do you remember uh, how he addresses God? God, you're awesome. God, you're on the throne. God, I love you. And I know that you are the one that answers prayer. And I'm not alone. He, he kind of talked about those things. And then we see that he, he, he confesses his sin and the sins of the people. And then he reminds God that, God, you're the one that said if, the, if, 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 if we fell away from you, if we didn't follow you, that there would be judgment that would come. And, and that happened, and I know that. But, God, you also said. And he, and he begins to remind God of what God said that he would do, bringing the people back together. And what we see in that is we see this entire spectrum of, of theology about God. And over here we have this wonderful God, you're in charge, and God, you're awesome, and God, you're holy, and you're wonderful, and you're merciful, and you're loving and then on the other end of the spectrum, we see that God, uh, I acknowledge that sin matters and, and there is a holiness and there's a justice and there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wrath component to who you are. And I recognize that, that, that there's these, this whole big scope of who you are and that's what he was praying. And we need this holistic view, not this, just this ultra grace-centric that is all about the only thing that we know about God is his love and mercy. But there's also this other part of his nature that we need to understand as we stand Stand before a holy God that will one day, one day, that he will come and he will react to our sin in, a, in the loving wrath that he brings. As he judges this world and he, he keeps his word as the just judge of the universe. But today is a day of grace and mercy. And forgiveness. As we think about revival prayer, we need to have that theologically balanced perspective of who our God is. That He is a God that loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son that, that, that died that we might have life. But He's also the God of Romans 1.18, for it says, And the wrath of God is revealed from heavens against the unrighteous and ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Or uh, Hebrews 10.31 that inspired uh, Jonathan, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards' great uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that says it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And so friends, as we bow humbly before God, we need to understand the full scope of who He is. And then as we look at Nehemiah, we need to practice the cadence of confession that we see that He he confesses for his people. He confesses for himself. And we don't see a lot of commas in his confession. It's just like, uh, God, we did this. Uh, we blew it. Uh, we deserve what we got. Period. End of conversation. And he confesses it. Is that the way we normally kind of confess our stuff? God, well, yeah, I, I recognize that uh, maybe I, yeah, I committed that sin, but. And we have a lot of commas to our prayers of confession. God, yes, I recognize that I was unfaithful to my wife, but it was just the internet. No one will ever know. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, God, I recognize that, yeah, I told some lies at work, but it wasn't that big deal. Nobody got hurt. I really needed the promotion, and so it's not that big of a deal. So what are the commas that we're putting into our prayers of confession? We need to have a healthy cadence of confession. And then the final thing that we see is that we need to be ready 
become part of God's answer to our prayers. Nehemiah didn't just pray. He didn't just worship. He didn't just talk about how bad it was. He didn't just talk about the problem. He ends up at the end of the chapter going into the king, the man he calls him, not the king, the man, and he, and he wants to be part of the solution. So after, and if you, if you do the math from, from, their calendar was a little different, so the month of Shizlev or whatever in the world that was, whatever month that is. So from that month to where Nehemiah in chapter 2 goes in to talk to the king, there's three or four months, and so for three or four months, he's been praying, and his heart is broken. He's been talking to God, God, use me, do something what can you do forgive us he's praying and praying and praying and then finally there's something that God taps him on the shoulder and and he recognizes that he needs to go in and talk to the king to be part of the solution so maybe just maybe if we would pray some revival prayers that God would begin to tap us on the shoulder to be a part of the solution of restoring his ideal and it reminds you of a passage in James that says this As our worship team comes back up, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that save him? And if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is death. And so, this morning, I just want to invite you as we kind of put all those points all together in that one final slide. What is it that God is saying to you? What is God saying to you as we think about revival prayer, a prayer that will bring the downpour of God's Spirit? Where is there some deficiency? Is there a need to be a brokenness over the things that break the heart of God? Have you kind of insulated yourself and life's all about you? Or maybe you need some persistency, some persistence. New word I made up. Some persistence, some some audacious kind of prayers in your life. What do you need, God? As we conclude our time today and we turn our attention to this final kind of time of communion and worship. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and help us, God, as we do some self-evaluation. I pray that you would just break our hearts and help us to see, God, that you want to revive us for a purpose and help us, God, to see what you want to do in this world through us. In the name of Christ, we pray for revival. Amen. We want to spend some time responding through communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And so our communion volunteers are going to come up and take the elements, and they're going to be in the four corners of the room. And uh, in just a minute, I invite you to take up the bread, dip it in the juice. The bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us. And at First Church, we remind ourselves that this isn't our table, that this is Christ's table. And so if you want an experience with the risen Christ, you are invited to partake in communion. Just use this time to reflect and open yourself to some of those tough questions that maybe God is is bringing up through these through this message and through these scriptures and through these songs and just use this time gracious father we give you praise 
and thanks for this holy communion the body and blood of your beloved son the body
Nothing worth more. Will you stand with us? There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. Tasted and seen of the sweetest of love, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. In your presence, Lord. Glory of your goodness, 
challenging morning for some of us. Um, and now we're going to listen to some words from Scripture uh, that will again challenge us. So listen to these. Follow along on the screen if, screen if you'd like. But uh, let's not shy away from these hard things that the Word has to say to us. accompanied by action is dead. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 6 through 10. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and to not hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. If you pour out yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, 
and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's sing together. God of justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not to be served. Jesus, you have called us. Freely we've received now. Freely we will give. We must go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Stepping forward. Keep us from just singing. Move us into action. We must go. To act justly every day. Loving mercy in every way. Walking humbly before you, God. You have shown us, you have shown us what you require. Freely we've received now, freely we will give. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward. Keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up. Send us out, fill us up, send us out, Lord. Let's sing that together, church. Fill us up, send us out, fill us up, send us out, fill us up, send us out, Lord. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward, keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go, we must go, we must go, live to feed the hungry, 
stand beside the broken. We must go stepping forward. Keep us from just singing. Move us into action. We must go. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up and send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. One last time. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up, send us out. Fill us up, send us out, Lord. So as we go today, let me just kind of send you out with just a final little quick story. Because we want to put into practice. We don't want to just be revived for our own pursuit. I hope you got that memo. But how then can we be revived and then go out and restore God's ideal? That's our vision here at First Church. And how to pray, God, help me, but change me. Break my heart so I can then make a difference in my world. I was a youth pastor, became the senior pastor of this church in Ohio. And I had grown up in a fairly affluent family and a church that was fairly affluent. We were at a, a congregation in the good part of town in Middletown, Ohio. And Everything's rolling along great. And then we got word in our community of about 100,000 or so that the homeless shelter in town was going to close. And winter was coming. And so I was the kind of the new young pastor. And, and so, you know, kind of concerned by that and kind of praying about that. And maybe we can throw a few dollars to that issue. But then some pastors got together and there were five or six of us or so. And we just kind of started talking about that issue. And, and uh, we hatched this harebrained idea because there was no money and there's no place and so we had this harebrained idea that, okay, the homeless in winter was coming and, and uh, they have nowhere to go. And so we decided that we would house them in our churches. We have these churches. And so one of the few times in my ministry, I pulled out my pastor card and I went into the board and we didn't have a lot of discussion. I just said to them, hey, uh, this is what we're doing. It's kind of along those lines. And so we joined a group of other uh, churches and we just opened up our doors and it was crazy and we would house the homeless for a week or two at a time and we would just kind of rotate around between the churches because there was a need and there was it was one of the it's just what that scripture just we just read you know someone is in need and you say oh be well fed and you know good luck to you and we'll pray for you and you do nothing and we couldn't just do nothing but my heart was I, I, I wasn't it wasn't geared that way but my heart in that moment broke I never want to go back. Remember, uh, there was a strung out prostitute, drug addict by the name of Priscilla. And Priscilla started coming, and we just started trying to love on Priscilla and encourage Priscilla. And uh, I remember one of the young associates who was kind of in charge, James. He's been here before he's preached to you. And, and he, it was his turn to stay that week at the church. And it was over Christmas. Actually, no other church wanted to take Christmas. And so we took Christmas. And so James was staying at the church on, and didn't do it as family thing, came and stayed at the church on Christmas. And so Priscilla and some of the others, they got together and they got him something. And so his family was there. It's Christmas. And, and they had this little present. And again, remember, Priscilla was a prostitute. And, and James looked at Priscilla and he re realized that Priscilla had probably sold herself that night so that she could get him something because what he had done for her meant so much to her. And it was her only recourse. And James said, I 
turned and I, it, I had this realization. His heart sank as he realized probably what she did for him in that moment. And he turns to her and he's like, Priscilla, no. And, and, and their eyes meet and, he, and, and she recognizes that what he's talking about. And she's like, James, no, I, I didn't do that. I didn't go sell myself to have the money to, to get your present. I actually stole it, so it's okay. <laughs> And it's kind of messy when you start trying to help people and they don't kind of get cleaned up like in the way you think. And, you know, that was a baby step for her. I won't go sell my body. I'll just steal it. And that was a step for her. But we decided to let our heart be broken for what breaks the heart of God. Priscilla today is in a church. She's married. She has a family. And she leads Bible studies in her church. And I don't know who the Priscilla is in your life. It might be a neighbor. It might be an affluent, white-collar, whirlpool executive that is so lost. And they need hope. And it may be, might be volunteering at some homeless shelter. It might be reading to kids. It might be being a jobs mentor at the Jobs for Life. I don't know what in the world. But I just I want us to be a church that it's not just about us. It's not just about us coming together and having these fancy services and, and, and doing stuff and, and having this, this, this time where we get together and we sing some songs and we feel good about ourselves and then we go back and live a self-absorbed life. I want our heart to be broken before God. And in Jesus' name, Father, I pray that you would bless these wonderful, godly, holy people that love you. And God, just occasionally, you need to remind us of what it's all about. And God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would break our heart and help us, God, to get on our knees before you and recognize that, that, that we've maybe got some things in our life that we need to confess to you. I pray, God, that you would just pour your spirit out in a fresh way on us and that you would help us and that, God, as we watch the news, as we hear about refugee crises, as we hear about Flint, Michigan water stuff, as we look around and we read statistics and we hear about stuff that's going on, I pray, Father, at some point, somewhere, somehow, that you would break our heart over something, God, and help us not to just live the rest of our lives only caring about ourselves. And God, please bless us in a way that we could be a part of a blessing to someone else. Help us, Father, be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Help us to be broken before you. We need you. We can't do it ourselves. We are so uh, in our own right. We, we, get, we just get motivated by the world and we get just tunnel vision about what it's just all about us. But Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you do a fresh work in us. We need you. Help us. Help our church be a, a one that pleases you. Pour your spirit on us, not just for us, so that we can restore your ideal in this community. Thank you, God, for the wonderful people that get this. And God, I pray that you would continue, help us to continue to seek you. And we pray in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees with what I'm praying today, say amen. Lord bless you as you go today.